This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. My name is Rich Bradbury and this is Matt Splaint. According to ChatGPT, the development of artificial general intelligence, AGI, is an active area of research and it is difficult to predict with certainty how long it will take to achieve. While there have been significant advances in machine learning and artificial intelligence in recent years, there is still no cure for Matt Armitage. Hi, Matt. Hey, Rich. Uh, okay, so maybe not all of that was written by uh, ChatGPT. I might have <laughs> cheated at the end a bit there. Um, we do spend a lot of time talking about AI on this show, perhaps a little bit more than is healthy. Um, but part of that is certainly at least over the, the last few weeks has been, again, this explosion of AI chatbots and assistants. I seem to say this line pretty much every week. You do. Uh, you know, these language learning models, um, uh, image models, sound, video generating, all these tools that seemed quite esoteric and theoretical a year ago. Uh, you know, demoware um, is what people, you know, generally were calling it. You know, these systems that had progressed far enough that you could create a public demo and write a white paper about them, but not mm. advanced enough that ordinary people would actually be able to play with them. But, you know, all of a sudden, as of sort of January, February this year, these tools aren't theoretical anymore. They're built into your browser. You mm -hmm. can sign up for these free or limited trials. You know, suddenly we're all playing with these pretty advanced AI systems. So after uh, last week's Matt's Blend, I popped up on uh, Enterprise BizBytes to did talk you? about- I did, yes. Um, wow. Uh, I, I knew you weren't paying attention. I knew I was just talking to Lily. Um, <laughs> so I was there to talk about the, the open letter by um, a group of technologists and industry bigwigs, the one that asked for a six-month moratorium mm -hmm. on AI development. Uh, the idea being that the pause would allow policymakers and researchers to assess the potential impacts of the technology and then suggest a, a suitable course of action. And, and I think it was Lily who asked me about, you know, some of the potential threats that AI poses and particularly the so-called existential risk. So you, 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 you're saying that Lily gave you the idea for this part, not Richard? Uh, no, I'm just saying that Lily asked me that question. You were there. You were I'm participating. Just, just clarifying. Uh, but you did uh, say something uh, about these technologies creating fewer jobs and they destroy. Yeah, and that's something that we've talked about a number of times here on this show. Um, yeah. But I realized that one of the things that we haven't talked about other than in passing is the kind of AI that theoretically poses the the most risk, which is artificial general intelligence. Now, it follows that if we don't know what an artificial general intelligence is, then it's very hard to understand what these supposed existential risks are that they they pose to us. Mm -hmm. uh, because, you know, all these systems, whether it's DALI, whether it's Midjourney, ChatGPT, BARD, all of the rest of them, they're great, but they aren't they're not intelligent. They're not intelligent mm. in human terms. And I, I think when we mentioned um, on a show recently that um, some apes are as smart as six-year-olds, which, of course, 
I don't believe at all because apes are way smarter, if you ask me. But um, none of these AI systems even comes close to that. So one of the examples I read this week, uh, I think it was by Gary Marcus in Scientific American, is that these systems struggle to tell the difference between a horse riding an astronaut and an astronaut riding a horse. Mm. Now, I know that's quite a silly and trivial example, but any two-year-old could tell you the difference. Although, you know, admittedly, the AI does a better job of drawing an astronaut on a horse than a two-year-old. But does that make the AI sentient? No. Um, Is the AI two-year-old sentient? I don't know. It's probably better that I don't answer that question. But the, uh, the question we'll be looking at today is, what is artificial general intelligence? And we'll be asking how it's different from uh, these other AI systems that we're already using and why so many people think it does pose this existential risk. So is AGI the same as a singularity? Now, this is one of those things uh, that's open to interpretation. So the technological singularity is supposedly this tipping point where technology becomes uncontrollable. Uh, A few people think it already is. A lot of people think we're quite a long way away from that. Um, You know, so there's there's quite a broad spectrum there. Um, But once it happens, the idea is that we'll be unable to predict what impact technology will have on humanity. So Mm -hmm. as I said, there are lots of different definitions. There are lots of different theories. There are a lot of subreddits. uh, But one widely held belief is that it will occur when an an alternative intelligence becomes as smart as humans. So that's where we get to artificial general intelligence. Uh, Because then we have machines that can spawn subsequent generations that far supersede us, creating this super intelligence that is not necessarily either governable or controllable by us. So uh, as I said, one likely contender for this is AGI. Um, But again, not everyone agrees on the exact definition of what an AGI is. As Mm -hmm. Richard's shaking his head, he obviously agrees with me on this. Thank you. Um, So, you know, some people have um, summed it up as a machine that's capable of learning and undertaking any intellectual task that a human can do. So essentially, it's a machine that can solve problems. It's a machine that can learn, it can evaluate, and it can reason. And that is a mighty task, because if you spend 10 minutes on YouTube, you'll realize that there are an awful lot of people out there who struggle to learn, evaluate, and reason. So asking a machine to do it is, you know, a pretty tall order. Uh, that's three minutes on TikTok. Um, <laughs> yes. But, but how does that differ from, I'm sorry, TikTokers, how does that differ from systems like ChatGPT, though? Okay, so these systems are sometimes called weak or more normally narrow AI. Mm. Narrow because they have a specific task or set of tasks that they can complete. So, for example, last week we talked about Google's Bard and ChatGPT. Mm. So ChatGPT, as the name suggests, is a chatbot. It responds to queries in a way that we, you know, hopefully find quite natural. Uh, Bard, on the other hand, is more technical and formal. So these are all things I said last week. Its purpose is to answer questions that convey information rather than talking to us in a kind of cute or colloquial way. So narrow systems can be excellent at the task that they're trained to do, but typically they've got little or no scope to develop beyond that point. Mm. So 
depending on the way you look at it, that's a feature rather than a flaw. Uh, a general AI, on the other hand, an AGI, is able to adapt. It's able to draw its data from various sources, uh, potentially interpret sensory and environmental data, and most importantly, to anticipate the future. Now, hang on, where, where does a horse riding an astronaut come in then? Well, as I said before, any two-year-old will tell you that you know, the horse riding an astronaut is silly because a horse can't ride an astronaut unless there's zero gravity, in which case is the horse an astronaut too? Or perhaps the astronaut no, has... It, it would be a horse astronaut. Ah, ah, I missed that one. Darn. <laughs> Terrible sorry. pun and I missed it. Um, or the, the astronaut has some kind of powered exoskeleton... Um, that allows them to carry heavy loads like horses. Mm. Uh, but then you have the question, why is a horse in a place that you need an astronaut? So, you know, there are more um, questions, there are more whys in the example than answers. But mm. for the AI, there are no whys because there's no reasoning. Everything yeah. just is, even when it can't possibly be. So to a chatbot or a text-to-image model, a horse carrying a human is no more silly than a human carrying a horse. Its data set may tell it that statistically, well, it's more likely that the horse carries the human, but that's as deep as its ability to reason and as far as its knowledge actually go. So an AGI would be able to work through all the data and actually come to the conclusion that the idea of a human carrying a horse is absurd, unless, of course, it's Pawnee's little Sebastian, in which case it's just a cute opening act for Mouse Rat. Okay, but let's go back to that definition then. Why is there no consensus definition of what AGI is? Well, part of the reason, and, and that's a big part of today's show, is self-interest. So from a, a commercial perspective, some companies are promoting ideas of AGI that gel with the areas that their business operates in. So they talk about very narrow systems um, that link to what they produce. They're ascribing elements of general intelligence or the poten potential, rather, for general intelligence to models that they're already producing. But the bigger issue is that it's about differences in the way we define intelligence. Mm. Cognitive scientists and computer scientists don't necessarily look at intelligence in the same way. So consequently, their definitions of what constitutes human intelligence may not gel. Therefore, their definitions of AGI will be different. Right. And, you know, it can seem like an academic point, but it might be more important than it seems because it actually goes to the fundamental issue of whether or not it's even possible to develop an AGI and on the kind of timeline that we can develop and actually deploy it. So, I mean, we, we have all of these rapidly developing AI systems. Depending on who you talk to, they're either assistive or already capable of replacing certain working skill sets, right? Is it possible uh, to form an AGI by, I don't know, jigsawing or, or stitching these systems all together in some way? Well, Frankensteining it, it, I guess. It, exactly. I mean, that seems like the most obvious answer, right? Um, because they already do the thing they're designed for. So why not just link them all up and get them to speak to each other? Right. Um, but there's actually a whole bunch of questions wrapped up in this. Um, firstly, it's 
where we come back to that definition of intelligence and my friend, the two-year-old kid. Um, and it's also why they're so important. So secondly, it's about what we decide or what we allow others to decide that AGI is going to become. And depending on those decisions or definitions, it will determine whether AGI is possible at all. Mm. So if we deal with um, that initial question and then get into those underlying issues, so can we stitch uh, the systems together? Well, maybe, maybe not. Uh, certainly a single researcher or company developing multiple narrow artificial intelligence systems could design them with this kind of cross-compatibility in mind. But that still doesn't mean that they can all be integrated. Uh, a, maybe a chatbot and an image generator are similar enough that they can share certain elements, but maybe the programming to run a stock market performance tool may not be cross-compatible with a medical diagnostic tool. So what's probably more likely is that you would run a user interface, a UI on top of all those systems so that from a dashboard perspective, it actually appears to be one tool. Right. But the underlying systems would still all be individual. They probably won't be able to share data or learn from each other's data uh, because even if they did share, they're probably incapable of processing what the other models have learned. So in what way might those systems be considered general AI? Well, this comes back to the conscious decisions we make about limiting the ability and capacity and capability of AI. So if we decide that the closest we want to come to an AGI is discrete systems that are linked at this surface level, you know, so they have the appearance of being able to do all these things, but they're, you know, separate models. Mm -hmm. um, then that's fine. You know, it's already happening to a limited extent. So Microsoft has integrated chat GPT and Dali into its Bing chat interface. So from that user perspective, the engine responds to prompts for information or images, but there are actually separate processes going on underneath. So those systems can carry out more tasks than, say, a two-year-old can, but they're still much less intelligent than a human because, again, no ability to reason, no ability to anticipate. Mm -hmm. They are statistically predicting the correct output. There's no logic process involved in determining whether that output is correct or not. Or, indeed, no understanding why there might be a, a danger or damage that comes from an incorrect output, hence that tendency that the current systems have to, as people are calling uh, it, hallucinate. Hallucinate, yeah. Okay, take us back to that point about deciding to limit how intelligent AI becomes then. Yeah, so this is something I want to explore more in the second part of the show. And I'm sorry if listeners were expecting something a bit lighter today. I know this is a slightly heavier than normal <laughs> show. But um, there's a, a great Twitter thread from late February from a computational linguistics professor, uh, which takes me back to that point about um, scientists in different fields having slightly different interpretations of what constitutes human intelligence. Mm -hmm. um, and yes, I know I keep saying I don't use Twitter, um, but the professor, Emily Bender, um, she's on Mastodon too, so you can uh, follow her there. But of course, most people are still using Birdmask. Um, so 
Emily takes the uh, February 24th blog post from OpenAI Sam Altman, which is titled Planning for AGI and Beyond. Uh, and that piece, you know, it kind of represents AGI as being inevitable. And this is, again, an issue that we've tackled in the, the past about the, the vision that technology leaders present. Uh, for example, Mark Zuckerberg's championing of the metaverse. Mm. It's easy to forget that these are not predictions of the future. They're essentially a marketing campaign for a version of the future that promotes and supports a particular company or service, in this instance, Facebook. Mm. This is Mark Zuckerberg's ideation that that has uh, Facebook at the core of the metaverse. But the more that these visions are repeated unchecked, the more they become the default position of that future. And it's our compliance with that vision that kind of makes it possible. Okay, uh, let's take a short break then and pick up on that point when we, we come back after these messages. Folks, you are tuned into Matt's Plane, of course. We'll be right back here on BFM 89.9 the business station. Blockbusters for me. BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Welcome back to Matt's Plane. I'm Rich Bradbury. And before the break, we were talking about the decision makers. Who decides what AGI is and becomes? Yeah, so we were talking about uh, taking these visions of the future at face value, which is... I know it's ironic because, you know, I, I do exactly the same thing on this show. Uh, the the difference being that the thought experiments we show tend to demonstrate things that could happen. Mm. And then we pose that question, you know, is this the future that, that you want? And say, well, you know, if not, now is the time to, to do something about it. And that isn't to say I don't have an opinion about what the future should be. I do. Um, but it's not an opinion that's based on technology that I own or develop mm -hmm. or I have any financial interest in. So yes, it can be self-serving because I have an idea of the kind of future that I would like to see come to pass. But I don't always use this show to paint pictures that I agree with or that are even the most likely outcome. But yes, I mean, I'm totally guilty of trying to influence that conversation. Uh, maybe the big difference is that I'm honest enough to tell you that uh, <laughs> and to, to, you know, and to ask the people who are listening to think and decide what kind of future that they would prefer. But mm. if we, if we take this back to, to open AI and to that, Twitter thread I mentioned by Emily Bender. So Sam Altman's uh, OpenAI blog post uh, paints a picture of AGI as these humanity-serving tools that are provided by conscientious private companies uh, with oversight that comes from some as yet unidentified group of individuals. But that's a very top-down vision of what constitutes you know, to the benefit of humanity, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. especially as it's in a blog post that also talks about, you know, boosting markets. Right. 
Is it that mention of markets that gives you pause? The that the the idea of profit incentive, uh, the profit incentive aspect. Well, it's one of those things that that sort of signifies. You know, this is kind of a, a PR and a marketing message because right. you know it's this idea that healthy markets benefit everyone. Now, there is a kernel of truth there in that you know if economies improve generally, um, there are benefits to society at large, but they don't benefit everyone. And of course, those gains are spread pretty unevenly. Uh, But mostly because boosting markets is not something that most people ever think about. So the fact that it's central to the argument that Sam Altman gives you about AGI kind of tells you about where his vision starts from. And as Emily Bender points out, what actually qualifies OpenAI or its you know, associated group of intellectuals to decide what is the best interest of humanity? You know, she uses a thought experiment. Um, what if they develop an AGI and the AGI decides that the greatest way to benefit humanity is to redistribute the majority of the wealth of the super rich. Mm-hmm. Well, there's very little likelihood that this supposedly benevolent elite is going to give up their wealth and their power. Mm-hmm. So that rather negates the idea that these tools will be designed to act in the best interests of everyone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There will always be a group of people that they're designed to benefit first or above all. So it's not that posts like this are are disingenuous, but you have to put them in that kind of context that these are marketing messages that are essentially dressed up as a vision. One thing you touched on before the break uh, that we haven't really um, expanded upon is um, whether or not AGI, um, I guess, is, is even possible. Yeah, sorry. I mean, I get so wrapped up in the tangents that I kind of forget to to go back to those central ideas. So we really don't know. So uh, as we mentioned at the start, you know, one of the questions about human intelligence is, do we know enough about intelligence to determine whether a, machi- a machine has achieved human level mm, intelligence? Mm. We might have... Uh, a better idea when a machine has surpassed it because, you know, Skynet will launch an attack on us all. But um, as Emily Bender points out, you know, there's a, a certain slight of hand in some of these arguments like with Sam Altman's because through the text, the potential and possibility of AGI sort of transforms into the inevitability of AI. So it, it goes from being um, a kind of conditional idea to this kind of, you know, certainty, mm-hmm. but without any great substance there to, to prove it. So, um, for example, Microsoft recently published a paper alleging that GPT-4 showed sparks of general intelligence. Now, what does that mean? What What is a spark of general intelligence? Uh, one human may be more or less smart than another, but they've all already hit that bar. You know, they have human intelligence. They don't have sparks of human intelligence. So do sparks of intelligence mean that you're progressing along that path to AGI? Or does it mean that you're hitting up against the limits of these narrow AI systems? You know, that's the thing with human intelligence. It either is or it isn't. Mm. So the, the best case scenario seems to be that we're still 
decades away. Uh, and a lot of researchers think that it isn't possible at all. So, and this is within both fields, within computer science and cognitive science. There are people in both areas that are, you know, yes, we can, and others that are, no, we can't. Um, some people think that human intelligence is simply too complex, uh, nuanced, and there are too many unknowable elements for us to replicate it. So rather than asking maybe about the inevitability of AGI, perhaps the better question is to ask, is this something that we should be pursuing? Just to go back to that show that um, we did last week on EBB, uh, Enterprise BizBytes, you talked a bit about the potential need to return to more government oversight and development of AI and technology in general. Yeah. So I only covered that in brief last week. So I'd like to expand on that a, a little bit today. So essentially, I think one of the things we talked about was the kind of post-war um, consensus, this kind of public-private initiatives in science mm. and technology, uh, medicine and space being particular examples you know, they came out of this this kind of result of a, a consensus um, between government and industry and the public about notions of nation and society building. Now, since the, the kind of 1980s, that partnership consensus has been kind of eroded. We now think about things in terms of government lanes and commercial lanes, and mm -hmm. we tend to view the participation of government in the private sector as an unwanted and unwarranted intrusion. You know, we tend to use terms like overreach, bureaucracy, overspending. And all of that can be true, but it isn't necessarily true that markets deliver more cheaply or efficiently either. Mm -hmm. You know, when we look at all the competing AI systems in the market right now, the certainty is that a number of them will not reach that dominant or profitable market position. So the investors in those companies stand to lose Billions. But of course, we kind of, you know, we we put that down to risk and reward, and that's just the behavior of markets and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So, so I guess the larger question then here is, what do we want this technology to do? Well, at one level, we look at the current system and ask, you know, what should be government's role when it comes to regulation? What do we want mm. to advocate for on our behalf? And I'll quote Emily Bender again, because she summarized it far more succinctly than I can do. Um, and she writes, what's needed is regulation about how data can be collected and used, the transparency of data sets, models, and the deployment of text and image generation systems, recourse, and the contestability of any automated decision-making. Now, there's a lot packed into that. So firstly, you know, what are the limitations that should be placed on uh, corporate and indeed government surveillance of individuals, because the best scenario for a, a human level intelligence is for it to have all the information. For it to make the correct decision, it needs yeah. as much information as possible. Yeah. Uh, so the, for that system to function optimally, the best thing is for us to share every data point in our lives with that central institution. Mm -hmm. Of course, that competes with the individual individual's right to privacy, the, the right to withhold information, and of course, the right to have a private life. And what about that issue of data transparency? Well, again, you know, where is all of the information that trains these models coming from? Um, mm -hmm. 
do these machines have the legal right to access and use that information? So when you go to ChatGPT uh, and you ask it to write you something in the style of J.K. Rowling, is it actually taking phrases from Harry Potter and applying them to the conditions that you've specified? In which case, who owns those words? Do you mm. own them? Does the machine own them or the company representing the machine or does jk rowling still own them and that's the same whether it's you know music or images in the style of we have to 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 now decide you know where does imitation or pastiche or tribute end and the plagiarism start mm -hmm. and of course how should those original content creators be rewarded so all of this needs to be ironed out and of course those are legal and regulatory issues then of course there's responsibility so what are your legal rights to recourse with anything that happens with these systems uh, if the recipe that it outputs for you for brownies contains something poisonous for example, who would be criminally and financially liable. Um, then there's, of course, the, the potential for companies to outsource the blame to the machines, uh, to let the machines do the work. And because it's a black box, because these machines are semi or potentially even totally autonomous, to then say that it's the machine that's to, to blame and not the people who actually created the system. Mm -hmm. And these aren't esoteric decisions. I mean, I, I, I know sometimes it sounds as though it's like, yeah, yeah, you know, you're just kind of making stuff up. None of this is going to happen. But a hallucinating chatbot is one thing. A hallucinating car is something else. If a car makes an incorrect decision, if a car hallucinates, as we've had in the past, that uh, a lorry crossing the road is actually the horizon, then there are serious issues and potentially the consequences of, you know, of, of death. Mm, mm. And then, of course, there are the social issues. Is it acceptable to use AI or AGI to cut costs and replace human workers? And that's something I think that both you and Lily raised on uh, BizBytes last week. You know, these narrow AI systems can already automate. And when we say automate, what we really mean is replace some of the work that you and Lily are doing at BFM. Yeah. How much more would an AGI be capable of and what percentage of the workforce in however many industries will it replace? Now, Sam Altman advocates for UBI, universal basic income, as a replacement for these jobs that are lost. And it's something that we've talked about on the show quite a lot in the past. I think it's something that will be inevitable in the future, given the, the current trajectory of technology. But the thing is, we haven't agreed to this, uh, this right, trajectory. Yeah. We've simply accepted it. And acceptance is not consent. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. You mentioned that AGI could take decades. Um, does that mean that we have time to think about, as you said, uh, the trajectory we want these technologies to take. No, and you know that was the point uh, I think I made last week. I'm not sure if it was on Matt's Blaine or if it was on on Bizbytes. You know, there's been quite a sense of shock that these supposedly narrow systems are so powerful that they are so capable. I mean, something we discussed even from six months ago using these services. Yeah. Where we are now. 
there is no comparison to. You could mm, not imagine mm. them making those leaps in such a, a short space of time. And as I said, I, we made the point last week about the open letter to suspend AI development for six months as being largely unworkable because mm-hmm. six months in terms of independent analysis of these systems, as I said, they're black boxes, let alone the design of legislation is you know, it's hugely inadequate. It may not even be worth doing. So that pause may itself be irrelevant, especially as it wouldn't be a worldwide halt. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and there's actually enough information. And as I, I think we mentioned, uh, some of these systems are compact enough to run on, you know, a quite powerful home PC. Mm-hmm. So there's enough information out there on open source systems that individuals can do their own research. Uh, they can do their own development with these open source models. So as I said last week, the future of AI is already here. So we don't really have any time to waste in deciding what we want it to do. At the same time, we have all of these you know, supposedly visionary tech leaders telling us what the future of these systems is going to look like. Uh, but it's a bit like um, that UI I mentioned that can make separate systems seem like a unified general one. Their visions are only showing us the shiny surface. It is a marketing spiel. Mm. They're not telling you what you have to give up in order to get that future. They're not telling you how the technology will intrude into your life. They don't tell you that the systems will take things that you create and repurpose them and then sell them to other people. You know, we've used that that phrase sleepwalking into the future a lot on this show. Well, the future has arrived and waking mm. up has been a bit of a shock for a lot of people. So the trick, I think, is now going to be making the the right decisions not caving to again these these marketing visions this this kind of well-funded pressure but at the same time avoiding knee-jerk responses that might protect us in the short term but then pass a potentially dangerous competitive advantage to countries or entities that are actually a lot less benevolent and that's matt splained for today thank you very much matt Thank you. As I said, uh, a little bit heavier than normal. (laughs) (laughs) No, good show, though. Um, If you did miss any part of it, you can download the podcast wherever you normally get it from. We recommend the BFM app that's available on the Apple App Store or Google Play. Of course, you can follow Matt on his Substack, which is available at culturepop.substack.com. There you go. Uh, We'll be right back after these messages. And of course, this has been Matt Splained here on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.